I tried a little experiment uh, this week in anticipation of uh, what I had to say. Um, I read the local paper and um, all the uh, news items associated with uh, East Oxford in particular, I found the name of the main person who was mentioned in the article and then I went to my LinkedIn account. Um, I don't know whether you know LinkedIn. It's, um, it's sort of like a business version of Facebook in some ways. I've got an account and I've got not that many connections um, uh, and certainly not that many in East Oxford. But what it does is it shows you how, who you know who might know that person or know someone who knows that person up down to a number of steps. So I typed their names in. And I found that all except one of these people, I not only knew someone, but I had them on my LinkedIn account, um, who in turn knew those people. We are incredibly closely linked. I'm not enormously well linked into East Oxford, but I wasn't far from every single one of those people, or nearly every one of those people mentioned. They say, don't they, in the world that there are only six degrees of separation between any two people. That is, that, that is, there are sort of six steps through personal relationships that will get you from one person to another. Actually, in the electronic world, they say um, those who are linked in uh, to social networks, it's down to 2.3 degrees of separation globally. That's how closely we are connected. And that connectedness that we have actually creates cultures. An average person, particularly European people, we, an a, average um, modern Western person thinks of themselves as an uh, autonomous, independent individual. We think we make decisions entirely independently. But actually, because of this LinkedIn-ness, again and again we um, discover, if we look a little bit closer, that we don't make decisions independently. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. Um, one on a relatively small scale. It's increasingly... Um, popular among, in counselling and psychiatric circles to talk about families as systems. That is, it's not just so much a, a group of individuals who are independently somehow interacting with each other in a family, but the family collectively is a system. One friend uh, of ours who... Um, uh, is not a Christian, who's a psychiatrist who does work with families, says, says that it's, it's often as interesting to think of, what, of, of the, the, what goes on between the individuals as what goes on in, inside the individuals. Indeed, the individuals often sort of disappear and there is just a set of interactions that needs to be unpicked. Our LinkedIn-ness, you see, binds us together somehow in patterns. Or another uh, example. When I watch general elections, I find it 
uh, every time astonishing that up and down the country, by and large, the shift, either to left or right or whatever, the, the, the political shift is pretty consistent. I find myself thinking, well, surely there are unique local issues. Surely you, might, you, you would get wild, chaotic variations where Labour made great gains in one place and the Tories made great gains in another. And there are a few exceptions. Actually, East Oxford was an exception in the last year, um, uh, general election. But by and large, somehow the nation seems to sort of shift corporately to left or right from one general election to another. We are interconnected. Why is that important? Well, it's important, I think, because it helps us to understand something really fundamental that the Bible is saying to us, that actually Western people so often miss or reject. The Bible is saying that actually, at a very deep level, all human beings are fundamentally linked together in one system that no individual human being on their own can break out of. And that's, a, that's a whole new way of thinking about what it means to be human. But uh, it is a very important understanding that we need to bring for the passage that we're going to have a look at. Because here, in the second half of Romans 5, the Apostle Paul is going to say that there is the problem that we face in our relationship with God and our alienation from God is not just my problem and can't just be broken free uh, of by me making an autonomous decision. It is humanity's problem collectively. And only something really radical that breaks apart that network can set us free from the problem common to all humanity. Let me show you. Um, but just before we get there, let me just remind you, particularly if you haven't been uh, with us in, uh, in Romans, what the Apostle Paul has been saying. He is saying that he's going to explain, uh, particularly in, in chapters 1 to 8, he's going to explain the gospel as he understands it. And the gospel, he says, has two elements to it. It's summed up in Romans 1, 17, where he says the gospel is that those who are righteous by faith will live. And in Romans 1 to 4, the chapters 1 to 4, he's explained what he means by being righteous by faith. And he's explained it this way. He's saying, he's saying we get right with God. God, God um, uh, deals with our sin through and only through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. And all that we can do and all that we need to do is put our faith in Jesus and then we are right, right with God. We are righteous by faith. That's what we saw uh, uh, leading up to Christmas. But now, 
We started last week to see what he, what he begins to tell us about in Romans 5 to 8. And there, he's explaining to us what it means to live. And if you were here last week, Romans 5, 1 to 11, he said, he, he, he started off his argument by just saying, God doesn't put you right with him, make you righteous, and then somehow walk away from you. No, God makes you right with him and that in turn reconciles you to him and that reconciliation that we enjoy with God means that God stays with us throughout our life and on into eternity and that is the life that he's talking about. Life with God. Life in which God pours out his love into our hearts by his spirit as he says in Romans 5.5, 5, life which comes from being united with Jesus, so that just as, just as Jesus rose from the dead, so we, as people united with Jesus, are promised resurrection life. Though, those who are put right with God, they will live, because God comes alongside them and sticks with them. That was his introductory statements in the, uh, verses 1 to 11. But now in verses 12 to 20, he wants to start to unpack that in a little bit more detail. And he first of all wants us to see what I've started to, uh, to talk about, that we are locked actually into a whole web of patterns of behaviour and lifestyle which we on our own cannot break free of. No, he's saying in verses 12 to 14, sin and death that comes from it are deep universal problems for all human beings. And we acquired that fundamental problem, he says, originally, historically, through one man. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. There are at least three things that we need to notice from that introductory statement. The first is this. Um, he is assuming that death is the penalty for sin. Did you notice that? Um, sin entered the world and death through sin. So that's a fundamental biblical understanding. It started with Adam and Eve. They, they sinned against God and they died. To sin against God is to reject God. And God's just response to that is to reject us. And that finds its expression in our life, in death, and in eternity, in what the Bible calls the second death, separation from God. But the second thing that we need to under, which understand, which is the main thing that he's saying, is that came to all human beings as a result first of one man's sin, the sin of Adam. Somehow, um, when Adam sinned, we, we read about it in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 3, remember, Eve took the apple and gave it to Adam and Adam um, uh, is held responsible ultimately for what they have done collectively. When Adam sinned, 
that introduced a problem, not just for them, but for all of their descendants after them. We are linked in. We are connected. We are bound together in that way. And at the deepest level, says the Apostle Paul, we cannot break free of that. It's it's like... It's, it's, it's as if a virus was added into our genome and gets expressed generation after generation. It's as if, a, it's as if some infectious disease has come. And it is universally the problem of mankind. That does not mean, though, says Paul, that any one of us is somehow innocent because we are bound up in that. He makes it very plain. Death came to all people... Because, not they were all passively victims, because all sinned. That is, we, and, and it is something we, we sense in ourselves. We are still responsible for our actions. I may be, when I vote, part of a whole sort of shift of humanity that goes on in the UK, but I'm responsible for my individual vote. I may be in the family part of a whole network of relationships in the family that means I'm locked into difficult behaviour patterns but I'm still responsible for the individual things that I do and I, I sense that and it's the same with our responsibility towards God. We are both locked into that wider problem and responsible for the things that we do. Sin then... And death, says the Apostle, is a much deeper problem than we ever thought. The um, 11th century Archbishop of Canterbury wrote in a, in a, in a meditation that he wrote on God that, that um, he came to God thinking, yes, he was a sinner, and there were things that need to, needed to be sorted out in his life to be repented of. But as he came to know God more, he realised he wasn't just a sinner, he was utterly lost in sin. He realised he didn't just need repentance, he needed to be liberated from a uh, pattern of sin which he couldn't break free of. He realised his need was deep and profound. He came to to God standing, saying, okay, what do I need to do, God? But he ended up flat on his face, saying, God, have mercy on me. That's what Paul wants to do for us before he then introduces us to Jesus by way of a whole range of contrasts in verses 15 to 20. And I want to just uh, outline them to you to see what he is saying. Here's the first contrast. One man's action leads to an influence on many. For instance, verse 15, many died by the one man, Adam. The gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the gift of the trespass of the one man, we'll do the how much more, and many died by the trespass of the one man, he says, but here's the how much more, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Here's the contrast then. 
Yes, Adam is the head of a whole network um, which leads us to sin. But he is Jesus, full of grace, who offers us a gift. And that too will overflow now to a new group of people. The fundamental truth that he is saying is that there, there are two humanities Both of them linked in and locked in. The one, a humanity related to Adam. But here's another one, a humanity related to Jesus. Who by his grace and by his gift brings um, uh, uh, wonderful gifts to many. One person's action leads to an influence on many. That is a tragedy with Adam. That is a triumph with Jesus. Two results as well come from these two, two actions. Verse 16, Adam brings judgment and death. Um, the result of one man's sin, he said, is judgment. Uh, the, the, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Adam was judged and condemned. And that is what happens to each one who follows Adam. But here's the contrast. From the, the other man, Jesus, comes justification. The gift followed many trespasses um, and brought justification. Jesus Jesus comes upon humanity filled with many trespasses and he now gives a gift that brings justification this, this status of being put right with God or the two results are contrasted again in verse 17 first of all from Adam came death the trespass of the one man through the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man but here's Jesus again. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus brings grace. He's already explained. Jesus brings righteousness. We are put right with God. And the consequence, he says, is that life. The actions of the two men, Adam and Jesus, are different. Adam trespassed, verse 18. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. But Jesus did a righteous action, verse 18 again. Um, uh, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Adam's work, life, action was disobedience. The disobedience of one man... Many were made sinners, verse 19. But Jesus' was obedience. Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. They are contrasting actions. And the mechanism by which the, the consequences flow down in these two great pyramids is different as well. That's what he's explaining in verses 20 and 21. The law was brought in, the law to Adam's people, um, but actually what it did, God's rules didn't actually 
sought people out. It simply clarified and showed them how far they were from obeying God. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But then, um, uh, and on again in verse 21, we find that this trespass, this sin, reigned in death. But the mechanism is contrasted in Jesus in verses 20 and 21. Because uh, grace comes in through, through Jesus. The, uh, the free gift of grace. And that flows over to this righteousness and life. You've got the picture then. There, before Jesus there was only one humanity. Everybody was bound in and locked into that web, that net that, that, that dragged us towards sin and death. To err is human, says the proverb. And it's right in one sense. Everybody is locked into that. But everybody is also responsible in that. We all make our contribution. When Jesus came, he introduced a new humanity. He not only died on the cross for our sins to make the way for our forgiveness. He he took people from this old humanity and brought them to himself. So that now they are with him and linked in and locked in and networked in to him. And those people are not only promised that they're forgiven, they get righteousness. They're promised that they get life. Now I want you to see just one thing this evening and I want us to see it really, really clearly. What Anselm saw that our problem is much, much more profound than we thought. We are not fully independent human beings. We cannot just click our fingers and break free of this universal problem of mankind. It is an illusion. It is an imagination, particularly of the Western mind, that suggests that. I've got a friend who, who um, when he's dealing with people, and they say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm perfectly free to make any decision. I could, I, could decide to, I could decide to follow God for the rest of my life this minute if I wanted to. He says, okay, do it. And of course they don't. Because they can't. That's the, that, that's the truth. That's what uh, the Apostle is telling us. To be a descendant of Adam, to be a human being, is to be a person locked in and in deep trouble. If we don't realise that, we will not realise the greatness of what Jesus has done. Jesus, you see, not only died on the cross to forgive your sins, he created a whole new humanity. 
And then he set about not only to come and say, please make a decision to follow me, but to come and personally take person after person out of that spider's web that they were trapped into and change their hearts and break them free from the the networks that they were locked into and bring them to himself. That is how great Jesus is. He rescues you. He creates that new humanity. He is the most glorious saviour. If you are a Christian here this evening, the reason that you are a Christian is because Jesus did that for you. He is an extraordinarily great saviour. And if you're not a Christian here this evening, then it is not a matter of you just having a little think about it and deciding whether you'll follow Jesus. What is wrong in our hearts is far, far deeper than that. People only come to Jesus because they fall on their knees and they say, please, I can do nothing. I am stuck. I am locked in. I am bound in this. Please break me free. And he does. And he takes us out of that old humanity and he plugs us into this new humanity. And then he links us in in such a way that now we're bound in here. And the webs and the networks that once dragged us down, now drag us up. And he stays with us forever. It is his grace. It is his gift. He not only gives righteousness, he gives life because he creates a new humanity. If you are a believer here, you are a new creature, a new human being. No longer locked into Adam, now locked into Jesus.